Well, in uh, true Nashville fashion, how are y'all doing today? <laughs> um, just so honored to be with you guys, and um, it's just amazing. You know, every time I get a chance to, to travel and um, connect with spiritual family uh, globally, it's amazing how we can be so far away from each other, but every place I go, it just feels like home. Um, I see familiar faces, and even those faces that aren't familiar, the kind of conversations that I have seem like, you know, you're talking to relatives, and that's because we all share in the mission of Jesus first, but then there's something unique, um, something that I think that God has graced us with in terms of the global diversity of our movement um, that really has just been super impactful to me. And I, I hope that as you engage deeper in this church that you get a, a more robust a sense of that, that you're part of something far greater than just what God is doing here, but it's something that extends all over the world. We're in more than 80 nations now, which is incredible to just see what God has done over the last 25 years. And, um, and I'm just humbled. I'm really, I really am humbled to be a part of this, and I just thank God for your pastor and just so many great leaders here and your staff and Everybody's so welcoming and hospitable, and I just have a tremendous opportunity every time I come. So um, I want, before I pray, to just show you a quick um, picture of my family. He mentioned my family who I miss. Yeah. So, uh, oh, it's just on this screen. All right. So um, so starting in the middle, that's my beautiful wife, Michonne. Uh, we will celebrate 11 years of marriage in December. And uh, really wish she was here to take in these views with me, but she is at home taking care of the troop. Um, starting on the left there, that is Justin David. Um, he's eight years old. And on the right is Joshua and Chloe. They're twins. They're six. And the one with the really awkward smile at the bottom. <laughs> so this happens, like, when you try to get kids to take pictures you could take like a hundred. There's always going to be that one that just can't figure out um, what the smile is supposed to be. So that is Chelsea Rose. And, um, and I bring a picture of them wherever I go because um, it just reminds me of, of really what's most important. You know, um, one of the things that um, I've realized being involved in, in ministry is that it's so easy for... Um, titles and positions um, to define us, um, to put pressure on us to be and, and become um, something more. And, um, but it's, it's at home where you really find out who you are. It's, it's in the midst of friendships and with your spouse and your loved ones that you really get a sense of what God is doing in you and through you. And they really are just a mirror um, of what God is trying to accomplish in me. And that's part of why I miss him, uh, because I get the privilege to stand here and to preach the word, which I'm so grateful for. But I'm even more grateful to be a husband and to be a dad and just to see what God is doing in their lives. So, um, so I just wanted to introduce um, them to you. And um, I have the unique privilege tonight to share a word with you about um, worship. I'm actually really bad at sermon titles. I'm horrible. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I just preach the Bible, and I, I try to do the best I can to come up with titles that make sense. Um, but if I were to entitle this, it would be um, The Truth About Worship. And, uh, and let me pray for us um, as we get into the word tonight. Is that okay? 
All right, Lord, we just are grateful, uh, first of all, that you, um, that you paid that sacrifice um, or that you came from heaven to earth to accomplish something that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Um, that when we were helpless and broken and weak and deficient in every way, there was no way that we could be reconciled to you, and you knew that. And so you came to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves, and that is salvation. That is the cross. That is redemption. And it's in the light of that redemption that we even come to this moment, that as a gathered people called the church, um, that we have an opportunity to experience you, Jesus, in a new way. Um, for your Holy Spirit to reveal to us something fresh about who you are and how you've called us to live as your people. So, Lord, I pray that in these um, brief moments that I have, God, that you would strengthen us, that you would transform us. Um, God, I'm just a willing and open vessel to, to share from your word whatever you would have um, to articulate today. And, God, I pray that we would just be different, that we would leave different, that we would think different, that we live our lives differently and that ultimately we would be that true expression of worship um, that you desire. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, so worship is a very, very, very important topic, and it's something that is woven all throughout um, Scripture. And the reason why worship is such a big topic and it's so important is because what we worship ultimately speaks about um, who we are. Um, the way I like to think about it is, um, you know, our lives are this giant mirror that reflects what we ultimately behold. So whatever our lives are aimed toward, uh, much like the moon does not emit its own light, but rather reflects the light that comes from the sun. And that's how we experience the glory of the moon, if we were to use that word. So God is glorified in the life of the believer, in our lives, as we emit that light, that light that reflects upon our lives and that the world sees. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And that light doesn't come from us or any goodness of our own, but it's really a reflection of what Jesus does through this concept of, of worship. And so it's very, very important that we have a proper understanding of the truth about worship, what it actually is. Is it, is it our playlist on, on, you know, your favorite um, app? You know, is it, a, is it a song set list? Is it um, the way we raise our hands? Is it the way that we, we step or jump or praise in a sanctuary? Or is it something much more than that? And I think that as we approach this idea about the truth of worship, that we, we develop more of a holistic understanding of what worship is so we can actually live in that kind of reflection, so to speak, of what God wants to do in our lives. And so worship is impossible without a target. So we've already set that up. If our lives are not aimed towards something, is there, if there's not an object of our worship, worship is not happening. Now, the interesting thing about that, though, is that we are all born as lovers and worshipers of something. So regardless of where you fall on the religious spectrum, um, whether you attend church or don't attend church, everyone is worshiping all the time. And the question is, what are you worshiping? And some people, you know, worship uh, fame. 
and some people worship their jobs, and some people worship um, their kids, and some people uh, worship, and I know I'm naming all these really bizarre things, but it actually happens, you know. Um, we fill in the blank because we're designed for worship. And so the interesting thing about this idea, this concept of worship and our heart's desire and kind of what we're aimed toward is that God really has to define worship for us in Scripture because we're broken and we tend to miss the mark as it relates to true worship. So what we see in Scripture is that he goes through great pains to define what worship actually is. And I like to call the books of the Bible where he describes this the NyQuil books. The reason I call it the NyQuil books is because I believe that before any of these books are read, there should be a disclaimer that says, may cause severe drowsiness. Okay? So, <laughs> so, um, so this would be, you know, Leviticus... Um, numbers, Deuteronomy, <laughs> you know, the books that, you know, you get really fired up, you know, I'm going to read this this year. And then, you know, a few paragraphs in, and there's all these measurements, and the temple was designed this way, and they counted this many people, and before you know it, you're drooling on your pillow, and this is why I affectionate call, affectionately call these the NyQuil books. But in all seriousness, the accounts of Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular outline the basic structure of worship. And the reason why God takes so much time and the reason why he's so detailed is because he knows how broken we are. He understood that this people who were not a people that he was calling to himself out of polytheism, out of paganism, if he did not specifically define for them the boundaries of true worship, they would only take what they believed in him and add it to all the other things that they believed. And that they would continue in this cycle of broken and imperfect worship. And he really wanted this deep communion, this deep communion, this wholehearted relationship. You see that? See what I did there? Um, this wholehearted relationship. So for thousands of years, we have these ceremonies and these rituals, and, and really it's just to shape God's people. But something drastic happened when Jesus showed up. Something very drastic. There was a tremendous shift, and then almost everything changed once he went to the cross. And so we look at our passage of scripture today in Hebrews, and I'm just giving this as a backdrop for what we're going to read. Now, I'm doing something interesting that I don't usually do. I'm going to read this passage of scripture in two versions, partly because it's, you know, not always a good idea to teach out of the message version of the Bible. It's a great version. I actually have a deep respect for Eugene Peterson. But, you know, sometimes it can be a bit, you know, if we could say overly modernized, um, but I'm going to use it to preach today. But I want to read it in the ESV first, just so I can be a good psalmist and theologian. <laughs> All right, go ahead and put that up. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're reading in the ESV first, right? Okay, awesome. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, we have all this religious language from the Old Testament rituals and practices related to foods and certain types of worship. Okay, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For, uh, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, let's jump over to the message. Now, what you're going to see is how Eugene Peterson expands into the modern language what we just read. Now, thing to keep in mind, when Eugene Peterson wrote the message version, um, and I know it's controversial and there's a lot of talk about it, But he wrote it because he was ministering to people, many of which did not have the ability to access deep theology. Um, Some people even being illiterate, not being able to read very well. And he's saying, how can I expand these truths in a way that's applicable to them? And you're going to see how masterfully he does this. And it's really going to apply to what we're trying to cover tonight. So here we go. The message, for Jesus doesn't change yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's always totally himself. Don't be lured away from him by the latest speculations about him. The grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. Products named after Christ don't seem to do much for those who buy them. Ooh. The altar. Um, In the States, we would just say, dang. The... (laughs) The altar from which God gives us the gift of himself is not for exploitation by insiders who grab and loot. In the old system, animals are killed and the body is disposed of outside the camp. The blood is then brought inside to the altar as a sacrifice for sin. It's the same with Jesus. He was crucified outside the city gates. That is where he poured out the sacrificial blood that was brought to God's altar to cleanse his people. So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that take place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets. Very interesting how he sets up this idea 
of worship, how he expands it into our modern language. Now, I want to draw out three points that will help us to frame this idea of the truth or the true or true worship, okay? Now, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that true worship is radical. It's radical, okay? And true worship is radical because it presses against the culture that we find ourselves in. That even though we're in the culture, it's swimming. We're swimming in it. In, in all of the things around us, there's something that works in us and through us from God that pushes against that and brings the truth of God into view. So from the Jewish perspective, this was very interesting because, you know, you had all of these, um, now understand, the writing to the Hebrews is specifically to a Jewish people, right? So you have these people who are steeped in Old Testament, you know, uh, rituals and sacrifices and all these things that are the parameters for true worship, all the boundaries and stuff, right? And so when this new idea, when this new reality comes in about Jesus and what he's done, it's a shock to everybody because they're realizing that worship is an all or nothing proposition, that it requires everything about us and that it would require the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus to come and to accomplish something on their behalf. So the importance of the law from their perspective, all the rules and the regulations, was informing, it was to form their view of God and his relationship with his people. Now here's something I want to draw out here about the, the rules and this contrast between the Old Testament and what happens in the New Testament and how this is so radical, okay? Now, anybody have house rules, right? Maybe have some kids. I have to have house rules for how many kids I have. If I, if I didn't set house rules, there would be complete chaos. Uh, fights and anarchy and the city would be burned. Uh, if I did not, <laughs> there would not be one building left uh, in, in the city of Nashville if I did not have some house rules. And so here's the interesting things, thing about rules, is rules tell us something is wrong. And practicing the rules helps shape our heart response or our behavior. But God is not looking for the best rule followers, okay? He's looking for those who will be radically committed to him. This is what he was trying to form in the people of Israel and what he continues to try to form in us by the power of his spirit is that we are not to be just a group of rule followers, but we are to be shaped by the parameters of worship so that we can live a life that is wholehearted and radically committed to God. So first thing we notice, true worship is radical. It's radical. Second thing we notice here is that true worship changes us. True worship changes us. And it makes us a people of self-sacrifice instead of a people of self-satisfaction. A people of self-sacrifice rather than a people of self-satisfaction. So when we turn the mirror of our lives away of the things that we try to use to fill in the blanks of our lives. 
okay, our affluence and our money and our fame and our pursuit of people to like us and all these things that we consume ourselves with. And we turn that mirror toward Jesus. When we turn our lives and we posture ourselves in such a way where we behold his beauty and we set our affections and everything about our lives upon him, then we become something that the world has never known. We become something that our communities that we're a part of get to see in a very, very powerful way. And I say that the world has never known, and some of you are saying, well, we've known Jesus. Well, here's something interesting. <clears throat> you know, um, there's an there's a evangelist. His name is uh, Gypsy Smith, a guy who lived a long time ago. Um, I believe he was from, from the U.K. And he has this saying. He says that there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the life of the believer. And most people will not read the first four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the life of the believer, and most people will not read the first four. Which means that sometimes, and I could probably even say most of the time, the only Jesus that people will know is the Jesus that we reflect in this true worship relationship that we have with him. That the Jesus that we desire every person to come in contact with will not always respond to our appeals to go to the scripture. Will not always respond to our appeals to come to the church gathering. But there's something that Jesus wants to do, the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and how we walk out this relationship with Jesus that is so pure, so true, that every person that gazes upon the mundane moments of our lives would see Jesus in it, that they would see the power of the Holy Spirit at work and they would ask the question, what is it about you? What is it? How can you live a life in a world of dysfunction, in a world of brokenness? How could you still smile when you lose your job? How can you still bubble up with life even though you have a family member who just passed? What is it that is in you that allows you to be anchored in such a way where you seem so at peace? You, see so, you seem so full of life, and that is the grace of God revealed in us by the Holy Spirit that we can really take no credit for. It's just, again, that reflection of what God is shining into us and through us into the rest of the world, and it changes us. True worship changes us. We continue to die to self. Right, our selfish ambitions and our selfish gain and the things that stroke our ego. And we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we see something incredibly powerful that isn't just for us, but is for everybody around us. So true worship is radical. True worship changes us. In this last point, true worship never changes. 
True worship is radical. True worship changes us, but true worship never changes. Here's why that's important. Let's go back to the top of our scripture. It says in the very beginning, starting in verse 8, for Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. Our playlists might change. Our relationships might change. The friend who said that they loved you and want to spend the rest of their life walking with you in relationship that turn their back on you and leave you, or that relationship, that, that family relationship that you see the tension and dysfunction in that just causes you so much pain and anguish, that makes you even question, is there any solid foundation that I can build my life upon? Is there anything that's pure? Is there anything that's true? And these questions fill our minds. And the peace that we have in God is that true worship never changes because Jesus is always totally himself. Think about that for a moment. Think about the fact that regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, Jesus is exactly who he's always been. And that he looks you and me in the eyeballs and says, I will never leave you. I won't ever forsake you. I will be with you even until the end of the age. From age to age, I am the same and I will be with you. So true worship is this idea that we can live lives way beyond the songs that we sing and the way we lift our hands and the way that we stomp and shout and sing praises and even in the way that we gather corporately for what we call church. But that true worship is this work of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives that turns us into the kind of people who reflect the glory of God in every area of life. And that glory is so powerful that it, it calls to other people, that it draws and attracts other people, that they get to see this idea of what it looks like to really be a whole person in this, in this relationship of true worship. Now, the reason I make such a big deal about that as the director of Every Nation Music is that I find in myself and in our modern church culture this tension where we have inadvertently relegated worship to the songs that we sing before the message. And we've relegated it to a genre that we consume through music apps and through iTunes and through all these stores and these different mediums, YouTube. But worship is so much more than that. And God has been preparing a people for thousands of years through prophets, through the written word, through oral tradition, through the countless, countless days and nights of, of working with people to help them to see that the kind of relationship that he wanted to have with them. That it was far more than the rituals and the ceremonies and 
even the rituals and the ceremonies that we have in our present day ministry. But that true worship is something that should transform us and should change the world around us. And so I want to ask you as we pray, because maybe for some of you, some of this may come as a shock. And I hope that I present this in a way where there's no condemnation, that you don't feel like you're despairing over the way that you've expressed worship in times past. I'm not saying it's not singing. I'm not saying that it's not the lifting of your hands, that it's not the corporate expression of gathering for worship like this. But it's to open our eyes to see the broad picture of what God is after so that we don't diminish worship and make it a song, that we don't make it a playlist, that we don't make it a stylistic preference. Oh, I like this over that. Or I like the old traditional songs. I don't really like the contemporary stuff. These are the things that religiously get in the way of what God wants to do in us in understanding what true worship is. So as we pray, I invite you to take a moment and maybe even as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit was showing you where maybe your affection and your devotion and how you spend your time has been misdirected. That maybe your life has been aimed towards something that does not bring glory and honor to God and does not reflect what he designed you to reflect. Only you know what that is. I know what those things are for me. And this is a moment for you and Jesus to do some business. For the Holy Spirit to do a work in you of purging you and broadening your perspective of the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you is so much more. It's so much more. It's so much more. So let me pray for us. And then I just want to take just a couple minutes before we get into singing. Just take a couple minutes to just pray and reflect. Take your own time. I don't want to rush past this moment. Because again, if true worship is radical and true worship changes us and true worship never changes, then my prayer is that we would leave this moment transformed. Different. So God, we humbly come to you. Humbly we come to you, God. We acknowledge that just like the children of Israel, We've been wandering. Um, we've been lost. God, that there's been times where even when you've tried to bring the rules in to help shape us, that we've turned toward idols. God, that the, even the things that you've given us, which are good and for us to enjoy, but only in light of who you are and your goodness, God, we've made idols out of those things. Lord, that we've taken our ultimate pleasure and our ultimate devotion in those things rather than giving you honor and glory and the respect that's due your name. Now, there's even some of us in this room, Lord, that have been distracted 
and have turned away from the mission that you have for us. The mission that you have for us, the calling that you have for us. Because we didn't realize that that counted as worship too. That the mission, the calling that you've given us, that counts as worship too. Lord, broaden our perspective on you. Sensitize our hearts to the Holy Spirit so that we can know how to follow you. So that we can truly be like the moon reflecting the sun in all of his splendor. the Holy Spirit will speak to you, grant you wisdom, open your heart. Scales will fall off your eyes. The blindness that you've previously walked in will be removed. You see Jesus afresh. See your work differently. See your family differently. I just feel deeply impressed that there's probably a handful of you here that you didn't see how you treated your spouse or your kids as worship. You didn't see it that way. You saw it through a worldly lens, which has caused you to act and respond harshly, to be critical, to not see the glory of God revealed in your spouse and in your kids. That sometimes they felt more like a burden and an inconvenience rather than glory of God working in them, the Holy Spirit bringing life to them, and that how you interact with them counts as worship before God. and honor that we give to you for the relationships that you give us specifically with our families. God, we glorify you. We thank you. We bless you for our spouses. We bless you for our kids. We bless you for our family members. There may be dysfunction there. There may be pain there. Lord, we trust you 
that you as the great reconciler, you as the great restorer, you as the one who brings light out of darkness, that we have hope and that there are good things to come. We trust you. Trust God afresh with that relationship. Trust him afresh. God, pour out your grace, your loving kindness. Oh, God, move by your Holy Spirit in those relationships. Yeah, restore that relationship between that parent and that child. Lord, we thank you for covering that. Thank you for that restoration. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for your light shining in that darkness. We worship you because you're good. Your mercy endures. Your grace is sufficient.